Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, but most especially Happy History Hump Day. And of course, all of the best for you in the new year of 2024. I am Julian Rushbrook, your host for History Most Queer. This is that time of year when traditions both ancient and modern are celebrated. As the dark nights grow longer, and the promise of a new spring is just around the corner. So, here at A History Most Queer, let's start a new tradition of our own, where we have a little holiday special episode to accompany your mug of mulled wine and gingerbread cookies. It is only fitting that the first Christmas special of this little podcast would have to be devoted to the birthday boy himself. Oh, no, not Jesus Christ, but rather Isaac Newton. The guy who made many of our school lives miserable by basically inventing calculus is also responsible for our current understanding of a whole variety of natural phenomena that we see in the universe. Our understanding of light, gravity, and motion all advanced greatly due to his work. In many cases, physics itself would not come upon such a singular genius again until the 20th century in Albert Einstein. You may be wondering why on earth Isaac Newton is being featured on a podcast about queer history. Well, there are some camps which place this mathematician, polymath, I mean, he, he did a little bit of everything, in either the gay or asexual camp. For my part, from everything that I've been able to learn about him, it seems that this man was definitely ace, and probably also aromantic. The man wrote quite a bit during his lifetime, and mentioned having never desired or loved anyone romantically. Had he wished to, he could have found himself a greatly desired bachelor in England in his day, as he was famous in his lifetime. So going back to Christmas Day, being his birthday, at least in the, the uh, Julian calendar, so at this time we were still dealing with a, a situation where the, the Christendom, as it were, was sort of changing over to the calendar that we have today. According to our current calendar, actually, he would not have been born on December 25th, but rather 4th of January, and it would have been 1643, not 1642. So the, the current calendar that we use is a lot more accurate than the older uh, Julian calendar. But, whoops, I just hit my microphone. Here we are, now dealing with the fact that we're going to celebrate him on Christmas. And I, I just think we should, why not? So anyway, um, it's interesting that the two men most associated with the 25th of December, Newton and Jesus, appear to have never been married. And, especially in the case of Jesus, his being 
asexual and aromantic are very much an important aspect of his personality. Uh, if he did have romantic attractions or, or or whatever, it seems that it would have removed some divine aspect of his personality. But anyhow, I don't want to wish to dwell too much on Jesus and Newton's similarities, as frankly, the two can't really be compared. After all, they are separated by 16 centuries, so there really is not a good way to compare them. So let's move along now and look at what made this history-changing ace man just that. So the whole world is familiar with Sir Isaac Newton. Everyone has heard that famous myth in which a young Newton is sitting under the boughs of an apple tree when one of the fruits falls upon his head and this inspires him to think about gravity. I mean, it is a cute little story, but sadly, there's nothing to it. It's just a myth. When we look at Newton's life, we have to sit there and take into context a lot of the things that were going on around him. Um, he lived during the period of the English Civil War. And so in this period, you had this great conflict between the royalists and the parliamentarians, and eventually in swooped some rather hardcore religious fanatics in the form of the Puritans who would come in and control the country for a period. And then it would switch back to being under the control of the monarchy and the parliament after some time. So there was a lot of bouncing back and forth. On the continent of Europe, you had a lot of religious turmoil, as well as the beginning of the sort of scientific revolution, of which Isaac Newton is very much a key player. So the world, the society, was in flux. You had witch trials going on at the same time as you had the discoveries of, you know, moons around Jupiter and Saturn and so on. It just was a time of great learning and technological advancement. In fact, one of the technological advancements that did occur in Newton's lifetime was the refractive telescope that he produced. Before that, most telescopes were produced using these lenses that were finely ground glass, but because glass functions as a prism, you would have light that comes through it be rainbowfied, as it were. And this caused some distortion whenever you were trying to see stuff that was extremely far away, like stars and planets. So, he solved this problem by developing a telescope that instead had mirrors capture light and then you look at it that way. Basically, this is how all of our telescopes function now. He came up with it. I mean, he was an absolute genius. You know, inventing new forms of mathematics, uh, understandings about gravity, and inventions. So anyway, going back to his life, he rather grew up a, in a rather bucolic setting. His father, also named Isaac Newton, so I don't know why we don't call him Junior, um, died, and his mother ended up remarrying and kind of left him to his own devices. He wasn't exactly a big fan of his stepfather, but he did enjoy 
reading and examining the natural world, which worked out for him because he became one of the intellectual lights in all of history. Newton would, of course, eventually find himself at the University of Cambridge as a very young man. And while there, he had to shake up the system. Physics, as it had been taught for centuries before, was based upon the sort of Aristotelian model. Of course, what would come after Aristotle was Newtonian physics. So this is the guy that's going to upend centuries, thousands of years of understanding about how the natural world works. And he was able to do this because of some people who were either just before him or around at the time. So people like Descartes, Galileo, which was a little bit before. Um, these people were out there coming up with new philosophies, new means of exploring the universe in the form of Galileo's telescope. Hooke, who was kind of a nemesis of Isaac Newton, would be using his microscope to look at what he would call animacules, little tiny micro well, microscopic things. So the world was becoming both larger and smaller in our understanding. And all of this stuff was being gobbled up by Newton. And so this inspired him. Now, I don't want to sit there and paint this picture as though Isaac Newton wasn't also a man of his time. I mean, he was a visionary, but he was a man of his time. He was a theologian. Uh, there are some schools of thought that would say that he was an atheist or agnostic or something, but that's very far from the truth. He was quite religious, although <laughs> he probably would have been considered a heretic by just about every single form of Christianity that existed in <laughs> Europe and uh, Asia at the time. So uh, there is that. But nonetheless, he did believe in a sort of divine power out there in the universe. And his inquiry into the universe was just trying to figure out exactly how the divine did what it did. But on top of that, he also dabbled quite a bit in alchemy, uh, which that can kind of border on almost witchcraftiness when you think about the time period in which he was living. Uh, this idea that you can basically use magic uh, and chemistry to sort of affect the world. Yeah, that it's a bit odd. And he wrote about all of this stuff. He had some wild writings. Not everything that he composed was published within his lifetime. And we find more and more stuff all the time about his interests. He really was a Renaissance man, interested in all sorts of things. As I mentioned before, he did publish a work, of course a bit later, uh, talking about calculus. He invented calculus. However, he was not the first person to publish about it. However, he did come up with it first. He just, you know, kind of sat on the stuff and didn't publish all of this work. Um, so there is that. Like I said, the man was a genius. 
Uh, I should, real quick, before I go any further, plug James Gleek's uh, Isaac Newton. It's a wonderful biography, and it kind of uh, focuses a lot, too, on a lot of the science of a lot of his advancements. And some of it's beyond me. Let's just say that uh, I don't have a degree in sciences. I stuck to the arts. So, uh, some of it doesn't make sense to me, but perhaps some of you out there who are very keen on science would really enjoy a lot of the stuff. I still find it fascinating, but some of it definitely goes way over my head. And this is science from four centuries ago. So I'm a bit behind the time. When Newton was starting to really change the mathematical scene in England and, of course, the greater European world, he was not necessarily seen as being, at first, as important as he would later become. This is not to say that mathematics weren't important at the time. It's just that if it wasn't useful when it came to stuff like architecture or the construction of ships or clocks and so on, it was just seen as maybe a bit too esoteric, too strange. And his mathematics weren't always seen as particularly practical. I mean, you know, he's talking about the movements of celestial bodies and, and things like that when it comes to, to matters of motion and, and that's just not something that you deal with if you're building a ship to go from point A to point B. But in time, of course, the whole world would embrace his way of thinking. After all, we don't get things like aircraft without him. But for instance, one of the things that is, at least at the time period, a little bit weird was that he was looking at light and... He did a lot of experiments where he would take prisms to sort of break down white light and look at its constituent parts. Now, prisms were nothing new. People were aware that light would pass through a prism and you'd see a rainbow on the other end. But it was Newton that figured out that light, white light, is composed of these various colors. And that when you take these various aspects of the rainbow, they do not break up any further. That light, in fact, is red and blue and green and violet and so on, and that you cannot break it up any smaller than that. So I guess we can thank Isaac Newton for our understanding of light and the rainbow, and let's just say that he invented the rainbow flag too. He didn't, but we'll give him some credit. So another thing that, that he has done for the queer community. Thank you, Isaac. On top of a lot of scientific and technological advancements, Isaac Newton would be involved in politics. He was a member of parliament for a time, and he was the head of the Royal Mint for a bit back there, and moved England from the silver standard to the gold standard. Up until that point, silver had been the basis of the uh, English economy going back I mean, as far as you can go back, really. And, of course, he would be knighted by Queen Anne, who we spoke about a few months ago on this podcast. So, yeah, he 
I mean, he did everything. It's kind of crazy to think about. I don't think that we can think of anyone in our current time period that can even come close to approaching the kinds of having one's fingers in all of these different pies. I mean, there's just... I don't know how he ever found the time. Well, maybe it's because he didn't date anybody. So, upon his death, it is said that, indeed, he died a virgin, and, in fact, there were some situations with people like John Locke, where they had a bit of a falling out, because I guess John Locke was trying to set up his friend. And he's like, no, I'm not interested. Now, Newton would die at the age of 84 on the 20th of March, 1727. And he was given quite a funeral and is, even to this day, buried in Westminster Abbey, which is quite an honor considering most of the people that are buried there are kings and queens. And in fact, he's the first scientist to ever be buried there. Now, some analyses has been done over the years on hair samples and so on, and it's been found that he had quite a bit of mercury in his system. And needless to say, at the end of his life, he was a little bit cantankerous, and that perhaps maybe it was a bit of mercury poisoning. And that would make sense, considering he was dabbling in alchemy. But maybe he was just cantankerous. I mean, you can't fault him for that. Again, if you want to sit there and learn a bit more about this fascinating person, because this is just going to be a short little introduction to him. I mean, this man's life is so fascinating. And, I mean, the fact that he lived to be 84 in that time period, I mean, that says a lot. He accomplished quite a bit. So, as I mentioned before, I was checking out this book, James Bleak's Isaac Newton. It's fascinating. I'm still wanting to read more about this guy. He's a fascinating figure and an ace and a romantic hero. So I think that I will start the process of closing up this little podcast. I hope that all of you have a wonderful holiday season out there. Don't eat and drink too much, but it's okay to overindulge a little. Keep warm out there and enjoy time with family and friends. I wish all of you a wonderful new year and can't wait to get back to visiting you on your History Hump Days in February. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Oh, and real quick, you can get a hold of me at historymostqueer at gmail.com and come check out the Instagram page at historymostqueer. So, like I said, enjoy the holidays. Bye-bye.
Woo! <laughs>